Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 10 from The Tire Tracks by James W. Knox. True stories of childhood, adventure, exploration, and friendship. Chapter 10, Close Encounter at the Witch's House. It was almost a month before James and Kyle were able to make their way back down Brown Road and out to the white picket fence near Dead Man's Curve. But when they talked, which was every day, they tried to pull all the pieces together. The briars and thorn vines, the banana spiders, the big ugly kid with one eye, the wolf dogs, the disappearing boy. The house they saw from the top of the pipes had to be full of witches. There had to be strange people living there who possessed great powers. Most boys would have thought that a perfect reason to never go near that place again. But Kyle and James had to do two things. They must actually see the house, and they had to get a look at the people who lived there, hopefully without being sent into another dimension. They made a plan. They would go on bicycles for a faster getaway. They would be at the edge of the dirt road at the very break of day, because witches were out witching all night, and if they would ever be tired or sleeping or off their guard, it would be first thing in the morning. They would race down the road far enough to actually see the house, and then turn and get out as fast as possible. Seldom does the air turn frigid where the boys grew up, but the January morning they had chosen for their daring run was bitterly cold. It was the kind of morning when the sky was frozen so that no clouds could form, no birds could fly, and your words seemed to ring from striking the invisible ice. The way you know there is invisible ice in the air is your breath. A flashlight or a laser beam cannot detect it, but when the breath or when you breathe out into frozen sky, the ice in the air becomes visible. It was one of those freezing days when the boys mounted their bicycles and headed for Dead Man's Curve. These extra clothes are going to make it hard to get up speed on our getaway, Kyle said. I can already feel ice forming in my lungs, he added, referring to the sharp pain in his sides. Those must be some very powerful witches. How else would they have known about our plan to see their house today? James spoke, more to himself than to Kyle. I wonder what else they have cooked up besides this chill. Chilly, Kyle said. What? James asked, having missed it. They have cooked up this chili in the air, Kyle said. They both tried to laugh, but it was forced, not because Kyle had not been funny, but because the weight of their mission was already being felt. They did not say much as they rode along. Their plan had been discussed a dozen times and was flawless, but now the frozen air made breathing difficult and the invisible ice stung their eyes and turned their faces a bright red. This added more doubts upon their doubts and third thoughts onto their second thoughts and stacked silent fears atop their silent fears. Quite often, something which happened during an exploration had frightened the boys, but this was the first time they had ever 
set out already afraid. As they passed the path of, to the giant oaks, they looked into its deep shadows, remembered the one-eyed half-man, half-banana spider, and rode on in silence. Kyle noticed his nose was running. Oh no, he said with alarm, remembering the ooze from the nose of the ogre. Do you think I am infected? We can only hope not, James answered, suddenly concerned about his own sniffles. They made the turn, rode a bit farther past the trailer, where the man, who wore only sleeveless white shirts, kept the parakeets. The birds were silent. They had never been silent. The boys came to a stop with the white picket fence to the right and dead man's curb in the guest house opposite them. They started at the patch of ground inside the fence. It sure is cold, said Kyle, wanting to say something simple and obvious. Ah, yes, winter has come at last, James replied, trying to act as though they were just out for a frosty ride. Sure looking forward to summer, aren't you? said Kyle, wiping his nose with the sleeve of his topmost jacket and inwardly rejoicing to see that the residue was clear, not yellow. Oh, me. Well, sure, James fumbled for an answer while taking a quick look at Kyle's now defiled sleeve. They sat, staring at just ahead at the spot where a dirt road ran into the dead man's curve, and the longer they sat, the greater the weight of fear and dread pressed upon them. Did you leave a farewell note? James said with a make-believe chuckle. Made out my will and signed it last night, Kyle said, trying to smile without success. Okay, let's go, said James, giving his bike a push and moving cautiously toward the dirt road. They made a sharp turn to the right and rolled as slowly as possible without stopping, inch by inch, along a narrow dirt road that stretched out before them into the thick woods. It seemed to get narrower and narrower as it reached toward the place where they reasoned the house must be. I think we had better keep to our bikes, James whispered, surprised by how difficult it was to speak. Faster getaway? Got it, Kyle replied blankly. As they rolled forward, they could make out a scattered collection of rotting cars and trucks. Rust had eaten away at them and left them full of holes. All the glass had been smashed from their windows. Behind them were the rotting remains of three huge yellow school buses. Trash of all sorts was piled in and around these decaying vehicles. The boys each knew instinctively what the other was thinking. These cars and trucks and buses had once been full of men and women and school kids, all brought here by the witches. Who knows what happened to all of them, but James and Kyle were sure they could be next. Two hundred yards to the end of the dirt road, and still they could not see the house. One hundred yards more, and piles of trash and rotting debris of all kinds could be seen scattered in the thickets of briars, but still no house was in view. Now fifty yards, and a stench, a horrid, foul, gagging stench, fought its way through the frozen air, past the clouds of breath the boys were breathing, and smacked into their noses. 
their stomachs turned within them. They felt as though they would vomit. There were so many things they could have said to each other, but they were afraid to make a sound. There was no sign of life or movement. Everything was perfectly still and absolutely quiet. They creeped closer and closer, barely able to force their bodies forward. I Bow wow! Wow wow! Bow wow! Wow wow! Like a barrage of bombs falling from an unseen airplane, sounds of rage and fury burst forth all at once. Shocked and horrified by the sudden assault of noises, the boys scanned the scene as fast as their eyes would dart from side to side, wheeled about with a great tug on the handlebars, and began racing back toward Dead Man's Curve. They saw it, or them, or something. Something they had seen, but there is no time yet for that description. Downward went their legs, one after another, pumping as far as hard as they could drive them against the pedals. Forward, they strained with every muscle in their bodies, leaning hard upon the bikes to force them onward, gasping for air in a frozen sky that would give them none, peering wildly down the dirt road, begging silently for escape, hearing the sh shouts, the growls, the frenzied barks, and trying to determine if the sounds were getting closer or if they were leaving them behind. Wildly, the boys flew down that mysterious lane. The road grew wider. Then it opened onto the pavement. They darted into the clear, flew past Dead Man's Curve, and did not slow down until they reached the safety of Tarpoon Bay. Nearly suffocating in the frigid air, but with the life they nearly lost surging through them, each boy locked up his brake, leaned wildly to the side, and laid down a long and noisy skid mark on the pavement with their blistering back tire. So cool, a victory spin-out. They then, then they staggered into the grass which lined the bay and cast themselves down and waited to feel their strength return. After a long season of panting, during which they felt blood and warmth return to their arms and legs, then to their hands and feet, and finally to their cold chests, James turned his frozen face toward Kyle and said weakly, Did you see it? Did you? Kyle nodded his head, or at least he tried to. He was so icebound and tired. I did. I saw something. A lot of things. As they replayed the sights in their minds, and each filled in some gaps in what the other had grasped, the picture became clear. I had just seen a really big house made all of metal like the roof when the noise began, James said. It looked to me like it was at least two stories high, and maybe had an attic, Kyle went on, but there were some kind of windows in the roof. Wasn't there a porch sort of thing on the front? James asked. Yes, but it looked like it was about to collapse, Kyle replied. The whole thing did, James added, sitting up, and the wolf dogs were there. No doubt about that, Kyle said, with a note of fear and respect, and they seemed so much bigger than last time. I don't know if I heard them and then saw them, or saw them and then heard them, 
happened all at once with me, James said, standing on it to his feet. But did you see the men? Kyle instinctively put his hands over his eyes, which he had closed as tightly as he could shut them. I did, and I do, and I don't want to see them again, now or ever. Just as they had gone far enough down the road to peer past the briar patches and get a glimpse of the house, two very, very old men in rugged clothes and long brown coats had burst into the road and began screaming. At the same time, the four huge black wolf dogs had come bounding out of nowhere, and with lips pulled back, teeth bared, nostrils flaring, they were pouring out their cries of rage. The boys were certain that the shouts of the men were not words but sounds, weird, horrible sounds. Did they imagine that the men were missing many teeth, and the ones they had were yellow, like banana spiders? Did they really have long, stringy hair, half white and half gray, with beards just as long and of the same color? That is what they remembered. As they spun about on their bikes, the boys had caught a glimpse of the dog wolves, and as they recalled the scene, they were surprised to remember with certainty that they had actually paused for a brief moment to look at the two old men. They were sure now that each of the men had been wearing three or four shirts under their big coats, but no shoes. Their feet were bare. That is such a lovely bluebird singing in the branches of the, the that cherry tree, Kyle said loudly. What? That is the bluest bird in a bluebird I have ever seen, Kyle said even louder. What are you talking about? asked an exasperated James. My mind has to have something else to look at. I cannot look at those witch-keepers any longer, said Kyle in a monotone voice, quite unhappy that in saying he would not see them again, he began to see them again. Man, you are a genius, James shouted as, without thinking, he picked up a big dirt clod and threw it into the bay. You have it right again, he said, smiling as, the kerplash echoed in the bitter chill. I am? I do? said Kyle, finally opening his eyes and turning to lean on one elbow. That is who we saw, the keepers of the witches. Those have got to be the ancient evil ones who govern the witch house and rule the wolf dogs, said James without any doubt that his revelation was correct. So, we have seen their spiders, their one-eyed attack kid, their dog wolves, their house, and their keepers, and we are still alive. If that does not get us in the explorer history books, I don't know what will, Kyle said proudly, a smile spreading across his beet-red face. It was so cold. Oh, I know what will, James said assuredly as he turned to look at Kyle. No! No, one thousand no's all at once, Kyle replied, falling onto his back and covering his eyes again. But James started. Kyle drowned him out. Um, I can't hear you. Um, Kyle did this again and again with an occasional pause to draw a breath. James pretended to walk away. Kyle peeked out of one eye to see him leaving. Kyle stopped the noise. James wheeled about and yelled, 
We'll go back and see those witches. Cow rolled over and over across the cold ground, saying, No, no, no. But soon he was laughing as he did so. At length he stopped. He stood to his feet, drew himself up nice and tall, and brushed off his clothes. Come here, my trusted friend, Cow said, holding out his hand. Let us make a pact. Thrilled at this, consenting to his wishes, James hurried over and put his hand, his right hand, in Kyle's right hand. I, Kyle, the explorer, promised to travel with James, the explorer, in search of the sighting of the witches in the witch house. He paused and looked around him, then continued, On my 100th birthday, and with that he jumped on his bike and raced for home. Next time, Chapter 11, Bicycles. You can find the Tire Track books, uh, book and many others from Brother James on www.jameswnox.org. Join me next time for Chapter 11, Bicycles.